Hello? Hello, Amanda. Hi, I'm so sorry I missed your call. Chris and I were packing up the car. What's up? Oh, no, not at all, not at all. I just wanted to thank you so much, Amanda. Oh, are you kidding? Well, seriously, I know how far advanced you are with your planning and how crazy it must be, so I'm really sorry for pulling out on your wedding at this last minute. No, seriously, Um, you are exactly where you need to be and doing exactly what you need to be doing, and I'm just so fucking sad that is happening right now. I'm just so sorry. It's I can't even imagine. Thank you. We'll get there. We'll get there. Well, listen, you have a great day. Take care. Say hi to Chris. Will do. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is Labyrinths. Please allow me to introduce you to our dear friend, Tom. Parliamo italiano un po'? Sì, mi farebbe piacere anche potrei... Buona pregunta. Ho dimenticato molto perché non ho parlato molto questi ultimi anni, ma sì. Allora, mi chiamo Tommaso. Va bene. Lo so. Lo sai? Tom is one of my favorite people. And we were really excited to have him at our wedding, Leap Day 2020, just before the pandemic hit. He's a selfless and reliable guy. So it was a shock to learn that he was backing out of our wedding two weeks before the big day. Bad form, unforgivable, right? Well, it turns out Tom had one hell of an excuse. Yeah, hopefully I don't get too emotional, but I mean, yeah, you don't have to apologize, story, you so. British person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too uptight and British, right? That's the, that's the problem. But uh... The story of the labyrinth that fell on top of Tom began, as most tragic stories do, with joy. I was wondering if you could talk to me about your love life. Okay, yeah, sure. So I met this girl. Yeah, tell me all about it. (laughs) Yeah, so we met at the uh, office where she works in Dubai. I was there for a conference and saw her across the room. And I thought, okay, she's totally out of my league. There's no way (laughs) it's going to happen. But I approached her and asked her where she's from. And she told me where she's from, the Philippines. I said, oh, I've always wanted to visit there. I'm planning to go there. Both her and Tom worked for airlines. I actually had to do an interview that day for our company. I got taken up to the top floor of our headquarters building, and she was the one who kind of escorted me up there. Mm. So we kind of got it talking, and we had a conference dinner a couple days after that. And then we had a glass of wine, got to know each other there. And then, um, you know, a little bit later, we decided to go out for dinner and drinks. But living in Seattle and her living in Dubai, it's not normally how a relationship would work, right? (laughs) But luckily, working for an airline, we've got quite good access to tickets, so we can travel quite easily. We met up in Stockholm for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then we met up in Spain. In different European countries, kind of got to know each other that way. Well, that's a really interesting courtship where we've heard of people do long-distance relationships, but because you both 
were international people who worked for an international company. It's not like you just flew to Dubai and she flew to Seattle. You guys were meeting up all over the world together. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And there's the kind of excitement aspect of it, right? Where mm -hmm. you're kind of meeting halfway. And when you're initially in a relationship, you have that kind of feeling that, ah, oh, this is exciting, but is it really going to work? Because you know, we live so far away and Seattle, Portland maybe is one thing, but <laughs> Seattle, Dubai is something different, right? Yeah. But, you know, I, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be with her long term. Living the airline life, we never quite knew when Tom would be in town. But when he was, without fail, he'd show up at family barbecues. That's where we first learned about his new long-distance girlfriend. My mom had been trying to set Tom up with someone for years. So this was great news and the source of immediate gossip within the family. Tom's famously tight-lipped about his personal life. But this time was different. In a shocking revelation, Tom revealed not only that this woman existed, but that she had a name, Anna. That's about all we could get out of him. Clearly, Tom was in love. So she'd come to the U.S. and she was living with me. And then we were just kind of deciding how to proceed from there. And then we got the great news. So we were staying in Seattle downtown. And just one morning, she woke me up. And just by the bed, I found a little pregnancy test. And it was dark. And I'm a guy, so I'm totally stupid. So I picked up the pregnancy test. I'm going, OK. So it shows negative. And she goes, no, 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 you need to look more closely. <laughs> oh, it's positive. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's Tom speak for, Woo, oh my God, I'm going to be a father. When things are looking up, we often don't see what's taking shape above us, ready to fall on our lives. We don't plan for the worst. We plan for the best. And then she decided to go to the Philippines to see her family because it had been quite a while since she'd been to the Philippines. Her plan was to come back to the U.S. We were going to meet over in Hawaii and I was planning a few special things. You know, I was actually planning to um, get married. I was going to propose to her. There's a kind of beach in Hawaii near the uh, Hilton Hawaiian village there that I had in mind. That was my vision. You know, I was kind of nervous meeting her. So there he was, after an international courtship from Dubai to Sweden to Seattle, waiting in Hawaii for the woman carrying his child, with a ring burning a hole in his pocket. I'd arrived a, a, an hour earlier in Hawaii than she did. I thought, oh, great, I'm going to go to her gate and meet her as she comes off the flight. So I went to international arrivals. I waited. She never came through. I waited like another couple of hours. Still no sign of her. Three hours and everybody from her flight had come and gone. My joy quickly turned to shock. Luckily, I found a really friendly information desk lady who said, OK, let me go and find out what's going on. And so she came back to me and told me, well, unfortunately, it looks like customs are um, taking her down to get her bags. And I don't know anything else. So I waited a few more hours. I got a call from a CBP officer who said, I can't give you any information because, you know, you're not married and you're not next of kin. 
The only thing I can tell you is she's not entering the United States today. She was declared an inadmissible. Did you have any idea of why this was happening? No. You know, she had a valid visa to enter the U.S., a 10-year visa, which she'd used once before. So I was confused as to why, because she was just coming for a trip to the U.S. We found out later, this was a week after the Trump administration put more restrictions on tourists coming in, and in particular, tourists who are pregnant. This policy has even created an entire industry of birth tourism, big business, where pregnant mothers travel to America to make their children instant American citizens. The Trump administration has plans to change visa guidelines in an effort to prevent so-called birth tourism. In theory, State Department officials would be able to deny a visitor visa if they suspect someone is trying to establish citizenship with the birth of a child. They weren't satisfied that she was coming here for a vacation. They thought she was coming here to to live permanently. She's going to come in and give birth and never go home type thing. And I guess she wasn't able to convince them that that wasn't the case. So they denied her access to the U.S. When you're declared inadmissible to the United States, right, you were taken to a detention center. So she was taken to a federal facility in Honolulu, close to the airport, where she had to spend the night. She was four months pregnant. So visibly pregnant. Yeah. And to spend the night there emotionally, um, with everything that that entails, even for one night, for her was shocking, very hard to take. Mm. And here I was staying in this five-star resort that I'd booked for us. It was worst night of my life, and I'm sure much worse for her, too. What were you thinking that whole night? I just didn't know if she was safe. Like, did she at least have a private room in the facility? Was she being treated well? Did she have food and drink? I couldn't get any messages to her because they didn't let us have any contact. I tried to get hold of a lawyer. It was really, really hard because you think that that's going to be a really good moment in your life, and then suddenly... It's taken away from you. So even now, I feel like maybe I could have handled it better. It was my idea for us to meet there in the first place. Should I have invited her to Hawaii at that point? Maybe there was something I could have done better so that she wasn't put in that situation. But as an airline insider, Tom wasn't giving up. He had to reach her. So I went to the airport in the morning and I spoke to the Hawaiian Airlines person. I mentioned that, you know, I worked for an airline can you find out what's going on? And they said, okay, let's see what we can do. And they found out from CBP which flight she was being deported on the next day. So I said, look, is there anything stopping me booking that same flight? And they said, no. I booked my flight from Honolulu to Seoul, which is the flight they were deporting her on, and then going back to the Philippines from there. And I didn't want to create any commotion at the gate because she was under escort by guard. I wanted it to be a surprise that I was on that flight. And the Hawaiian Airlines people were so amazing. They actually seated me next to her on the flight. Oh. Yeah, they knew the situation. And she boarded first. And she had no idea that I was there, right? She just thought, I'm just going back to the Philippines. Tom is still in Hawaii. I'm not going to see him. I boarded the flight halfway down. And then she saw me. And then we collapsed with emotion, crying, happy, crying, everything at the same time, because at least we're reunited, right? Yeah. We spent the 12 hours of that flight looking into each other's faces and holding each other. And Has she described that night to you? 
Yeah, we went through it. And she said that all she wanted to do was see me. She was just thinking about me during that night. And I thought to myself, wow, that she's thinking about me when really she should be thinking about herself and her situation. And that was like the quickest flight of my life because it was <laughs> like, you know, two hours later, we landed in Korea and then went back to the Philippines. What happened to your proposal plans? I didn't actually give it a second thought after that, to be honest with you. I uh, just wanted to make sure she was healthy and she had survived that night and that the baby was healthy. So that was in February, I believe, because it was unfortunately the reason I couldn't attend That's your, right. I your was wedding. Just, yeah, yeah, I was just about to say, you sent me a message and were just like, I feel terrible to back out at the last minute. Mm. And I was like, well, that's the most legitimate excuse to never go to a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't think, yeah. You were missed, but like, goodness, you were exactly where you needed to be. That was your exact response when I sent you that. So thank mm. you for understanding that and appreciating our situation. So yeah. So how long were you there in the Philippines with her? I stayed for about three weeks. I had to get back for work at a certain point. I just wanted to make sure that she was okay, that she was set up with her family. Tom's derailed proposal was in mid-February, meaning he left the Philippines at the beginning of March, just when COVID-19 exploded. Tell me about how the coronavirus has impacted uh, yeah. <laughs> this journey for you. It's <laughs> been the cherry on the top. Yeah, I can tell you. Now that she cannot enter the United States, the only way for us to be together was for me to travel to the Philippines. Hmm. But in the end, travel restrictions came in, and about end of March, foreigners could not enter the Philippines. So they've got a blanket ban on foreigners. If we were married then I, I would have been able to travel because they're allowing spouses of Filipino citizens to enter. We're not married. We're uh, in a domestic partnership. So, so um, basically you're in a situation where if she comes to you, she's deported. Yeah. If you go to her, you're deported. Correct. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and let's not forget, she's five months pregnant with Tom's child. It's funny if it wouldn't be so terrible, right? But... <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's been some really difficult moments. I like to just go out to look out at the water and kind of be alone in the sunshine. That helps me kind of clear my mind. The labyrinth Tom found himself in, separated from his partner Anna and his unborn child by a visa, a global pandemic, and almost 7,000 miles of Pacific Ocean, has an eerie symmetry for us. For Tom's story, from our perspective, begins inside Amanda's labyrinth. I never really fully got your story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of became a member of my family while I was away. <laughs> I know, right? And you came back, you're like, who's this person? That's, uh... Yeah, I still remember that when I was with British Airways and you came off that flight from London, wasn't it? Rome to mm -hmm. London, London to Seattle. and It feels weird describing Tom as a supporter. At this point, he's so much more than that. 
but that is how he first came into my life, as a stranger who offered to help my family. His own background made him uniquely positioned to appreciate Amanda's plight and step in. How did you become such an international person? Like, Yeah, so I studied languages as a kid. So at university, I studied French, Spanish, Italian. Then I went on to study um, European politics. I worked in the European Parliament for a year so hmm. for an MEP. But then my other passion was always like aviation and flying. And I huh. thought, okay, maybe I can marry my love of languages with flying as well as politics. So that's kind of why I went down the airline route, basically. Gotcha. So as part of the language studies, we had to spend a year abroad overseas. Mm -hmm. So I went to live in Switzerland for a year to teach English. And then they gave me three months in Perugia to go and live there and study ah. Italian, uh, which I think was maybe about a year before you were there, I think. I did not realize so, that we were ships in the night like that. Yeah, right? Huh. But you also have a bit of a love for languages too, right? Yeah, no, I'm and... actually like thinking about how I could have taken a very similar path as you because of that. I really love languages. I mean, I went to school to be a language major, mm -hmm. and I thought that I might do something like work for some political institution that needed translators. And I very easily could have become a stewardess and be traveling around because travel was really important to me and also connecting with people across cultures and languages was really important to me. So yeah, I feel yeah. like we have that in common. For sure, for sure. So how did you first hear about my case? I think it was through the media. The year after I got back from Perugia, I recognized right away the university where I studied and some of the people I kind of knew. And then it was obvious that you were being mistreated. I knew because I lived in Italy for a while, how everything is blown out of proportion and everything's dramatized to the nth degree to try and sell newspapers. I already distrusted a lot of the British tabloids and I knew that they were kind of making a big thing out of it. And I've never really got involved in anything like that before. But then I thought, well, how could I help? But how do you go from being someone who appreciates that something is crazy to I want to help? I think that it was just because there were so many things that were quite similar to my life that I saw in, in your case. And I thought, that could happen to me or it could happen to anybody, quite honestly. Like you just were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I thought, well, since I work for an airline, maybe I can offer to get some reduced tickets through my entitlement for your mom to go back and forth and visit you. My concern initially when I first reached out, I thought, well, I'll just be another crazy person who's reaching out on Facebook. You know, I, I don't want to come across that way. I genuinely wanted to help. But luckily, yeah, your family didn't think I was totally crazy, so they accepted my, <laughs> accepted my help. Um, I signed them up for my concessions. And then I thought, okay, that's the extent of my involvement. I don't need to get any more involved. And then it just so happened that I was working in London at the time, and then a job opportunity came up in Seattle as airport services manager for British Airways. And I remembered that Chris and your mom lived here. He's talking about my stepdad also named Chris. So I reached out to them, and your mom, I remember coming off the bus, and she met me for the first time and drove me back to your place in West Seattle. And I was a bit like self-conscious. I'm like, you don't have to do this. And then just got on right away with your family and all the barbecues outside that you guys have. And then I got the job. And when I moved to Seattle, I didn't know anybody. 
so your mom and Chris kind of took me under their wing a little bit and became my Seattle family, to be honest with you. It was really hard. And I saw the toll it took on your mom and Chris. It was so clear how much they loved you and how devoted they were to finding a solution. I knew that I'd made the right decision. I don't know if you know this, but like you literally made it possible so that I never had a visitation day where I didn't get to see my family. So that means a lot. Yeah. I know what it's like to have limited bursts of connection with my family mm. and wanting to like go home with them and not being able to, mm. which is why it's like this weird mirror image thing for me to see you going through this, where like across the world mm. is the person that you most want to be with. Yeah. And. Yeah. You can have your little visitations on the phone, mm -hmm. but you're not there. Yeah. You can see why Tom's predicament is particularly resonant for us. He's now facing the same degree of separation that he helped alleviate for Amanda. He even helped get her safely back home. And breaking news tonight, Amanda Knox finally home. That was the scene uh, just a few minutes ago, a short time ago. The plane carrying her and her family landed in Seattle. This is actually a live picture now in a crush of media. Well-wishers are waiting for her at the Seattle Tacoma Airport. That was quite a big, big day. And British Airways, even my boss knew about it. He's like, Tom, can you handle this? I'm like, yeah, I, I can. What strategically needed to happen in order to make what you did for me possible? Well, there are a few things behind the scenes that we had to set up. So in London, we didn't want any hiccups. So we set up the Windsor suite. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. I definitely remember that part because I remember thinking, wait, the Windsor room? Does this mean where the princess goes? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of wanted you to have privacy. There's no media allowed in that area because it's it like... Was huge that you navigated a way for me to get from A to B with the least harassment possible. Yeah, yeah. So I am forever indebted to you for that because like it was so emotional for me to even just like be in a car and be able to look out the window mm. because I had been in that prison van for four years. Yeah, so. yeah. And you know, I remember now you mentioned it on the flight, you know, we arranged that you kind of were going to be up on the top deck there in business class mm -hmm. and that there were some journalists who booked on that flight mm -hmm. in economy class, but we pre-briefed the crew to not let anybody go up and downstairs and they blocked off that area. And so that part, I think, worked quite well. Did you tell the crew to give me a bunch of champagne? Because they did. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> that I did not. I cannot take any credit for that part. That's great. They kept bringing you yeah, champagne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were That's great. Good. They it's were like, very supportive. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember when, when you arrived and, you know, you were taken away on, you know, in the black SUV yeah. and there were like three different SUVs, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, to confuse the helicopter. Right? <laughs> Which is great. It's just like the Italian job movie, right? Yeah, Where they have totally. the three different... <laughs> <laughs> the different gold uh, gold vans. But I'm glad it went smoothly because that was the main thing, that you get home safely and that British Airways does its job and everybody's kind of happy. So It breaks my heart that I can't help Tom get to his family the way he did for me. Especially since Mother Nature is moving ahead, whether he's there or not. So in the... You know, months and weeks leading up to your son's birth, you had a ticking clock ahead of you. Mm. 
Did you think that you were going to be able to be there? I did. I did. So at the beginning, we thought, you know what? Let's not get too worried about it. I was actually trying to calm her down and make sure that she was in a good headspace because going through a pregnancy alone is tough enough. There was a point where we kind of suspected travel restrictions were going to come in place because working for an airline myself, I could see that different countries were closing. Like one by one, they were closing. Mm. So I thought, I've got this window. I could travel there right away, but then I would have to give up my job and I would have to just go out on a limb. So on the other side of my brain, I'm thinking, well, I also need to support my child financially. So we decided, okay, you know what? We think that COVID situation probably will pass in a few months and hopefully I'll get a chance to travel before his due date in July. And then April came, May came, June came, and restrictions in the Philippines got even more intense. And then once they put in the ban for foreigners to travel there, then we got seriously concerned. And we thought, how is this ever going to happen? Were you ever able to feel the kicks from your baby? No, no. It was too early on in the pregnancy when we went our different ways. It's definitely tough. I wish I could have put my hands on her stomach as the baby got bigger and held her from the back. It's my first child, so I would have loved to have gone through that. We got used to video calling, FaceTime, so I was able to follow her pregnancy that way. Were you able to Zoom or Face chat into any of the doctor visits? Yeah, we did a consultation together talking about whether she'd be induced and things like that. So that was nice because I felt part of the conversation. Once it got to July, we had all sorts of decisions to make. Um, The baby was larger than normal, so we had an option to do an induced labor. But we decided against that because we thought that'll give us more time for me to be able to travel. But in the end of it all, I just sort of said to her, The health of the baby is the most important thing. Mm. You know, I will get there if I can, and I'll bust my gut trying to get there, but let's not make a decision that puts anybody at risk. Do you remember the moment that you realized you weren't going to be there? I do. I remember I was at home, and we were just chatting, and normally I'm super optimistic about things, but there was a point where we just sort of thought, okay, we have to be realistic. It's not going to happen. I felt like I, I, I'd let her down because I wasn't there. You know, the onus was on me to, to have been there, and I, I wasn't. And then it happened. 5 p.m. Philippines time, I got a text from Anna to tell me that she was going into hospital. The contractions were pretty frequent. And then I basically was just waiting, and she was in the labor room. So from 7 a.m. our time in the U.S., I was just in my apartment. I tried to like watch TV or make breakfast, but none of that worked. You, you <laughs> yeah, I was about don't. to say, what so, were you doing? Uh, yeah, right? Um, so I, I literally just sat there. I was on my couch, and I had to stop myself from over-messaging her family. Where were you emotionally? I was really worried about the situation over there with COVID. You know, the healthcare over there is okay. It's not to the standard in in other parts of the world. So that was on the back of my mind too. Mm. But I never shared that with her because what would that have achieved? Like she's got no choice but to proceed, right, (laughs) with things. So, And I thought it was going to go on all day. That's what I was mentally prepared for. So I kind of hunkered down. And then sure enough, yeah, about an hour and a half later, 
I got a message from her niece who said she had dilated. That was a good sign because meant she was going to have a natural birth. And literally half an hour later, the baby was born. And it was so fast, faster than I anticipated. My mind wasn't yeah. ready for that. I missed the birth of my first son. That will always be something that I regret. I'm just so in awe of her to go through that and deliver naturally in the midst of a pandemic with a lack of support. I wasn't there and she did it all by herself. So when was the first time that you saw your son? It was about 11 a.m. U.S. time and my partner's niece snuck into the room where the baby was taken and I saw the video of him for the first time, like 30 minutes old, and I couldn't believe it. Sure enough, we had a baby. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. And I was just so proud. He was so cute. He had like a blanket wrapped up almost to his head. Well, I can also imagine like your impulse to just want to touch him, yeah. right? Because like this is through a screen. Yeah. It's almost like you're having a long-distance relationship with your son. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's happy and sad at the same time. There's one video in particular that I watch of him. It's about two hours after he was born, and he's being bathed by the nurse, and he's putting his hand up, asking for help, you know, like babies do, and I'm not there right? I should be there, you know, holding him and protecting him from this stranger who's bathing him. Yeah, so that video I'm trying not to watch too often because <laughs> it gets me really sad. Can I see that video? You can, yeah. <laughs> can we watch it? You, yeah, definitely. Let Here, me uh, see I'm if I can... move myself. Uh, let's see. See how delicate he is? And yeah. she's like moving his, and he's like, I don't like that because I want to be inside, yeah. you know, a nice warm tummy. And so. <laughs> you can't even watch that because I like, you know, I see him crying like that. It's like he's uncomfortable because he's in this world for the first time. And it's like. You've just come out of this dark, secure place, and then you're, like, exposed to this stranger who's bathing you. It's, like, it's difficult to describe, but it's... Try and describe it for me. It's just hard because you know that nothing wrong is happening, right? So the nurse is doing her job. But, you know, he's crying because he doesn't know where he is, and I feel like my job should be to make him feel comfortable, make him feel protected. Mm. And I can't because I'm, like, 8,000 miles away. That's the hardest part in this, being powerless to, like, be part of your kid's first moments on the earth, you know? Did it immediately feel real? Like, when you first saw that first video, did you immediately think, oh, he's real and I'm a dad? I knew right away when I started crying watching those videos, all of a sudden, everything changes. And you think, this is my life now. My son is my life. Like, I will do anything for him. It's just a natural feeling. You don't have to try. It just hits you. So, you know, I will have to make it up to him, right? The fact that I wasn't there for the first month of his life. 
we're going to make it up to him and give him so much love. Can I ask how many times you've seen that video that makes you cry? <laughs> how many times have so, you watched that video? Pretty often. I don't cry much, and I'm, I've been crying here talking to you, but <laughs> I don't often do that. And um, there was one time I just went into the bedroom and lay down on the bed and just put my head back and just cried for 20 minutes. And But I'll never forget that video, and I'll show it to him when he's older. I'll say, look, this is the first video I saw of you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's getting easier. So, like, when I just watched that video with you, I was a little bit emotional, but not as bad as I have been. Mm. Um, maybe because I, I know I'm on the verge of going there, knock mm. on wood. Yeah. You know, last week I got some good news from the consulate, having harassed them for the last few months. And they said that there's a new rule in the Philippines that foreign parents of Filipino citizens can travel to the Philippines. So um, that rule has allowed me to get a visa and knock on wood. On Friday, I should be able to fly out there and hopefully they don't send me back. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, I've, got, I've got birth certificates printed out. I've got photos. I've got all the evidence that you need that I'm the baby's father. So we'll see. Yeah. But uh, hopefully this time next week, I will be there. So the good thing is I've got my flight booked. So hopefully... Uh, Everything should be good when I get like there. So. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> You're like, I can see the end happening. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And that end, hopefully, involves Tom showering Anna and baby Anders with love. I'm going on Wednesday to the new Seattle Kraken store. I want to get a little infant Kraken jersey. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I've got a few... Um, a lot of diapers, wipes, things which are harder to find in the Philippines or more mm. expensive. So I'm just going to load up on all that stuff Basically from Walmart. a whole suitcase of diapers. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much it. And it's, uh, I'm still kind of living the bachelor life. I've got my, my own apartment and everything, and life is going to change from Friday, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I keep saying to my partner, this is the start of our family life. Even though we already have a family, it's, it's going to be the start where we're together and we're going to move forward from there. Tom left us that afternoon, packed his suitcase up with diapers, and a few days later, he hopped on a plane to the Philippines. He said he'd give us a call, however it worked out. Hello. Hello. How are you? Let me turn on my video. Oh, oh my gosh, how are you? It was kind of touch and go for a while because I had to kind of uh, convince the airlines to let me board. Like they were all pretty strict with the rules. And then one of them said, oh, you don't have the right visa type. Thankfully, I had like a bunch of documents, like 20 all prepared. And then I got to Korea and the same thing, Korean Air, they didn't want to accept me. But luckily, I, I know um, the Emirates station manager in the Philippines. So he contacted Korean Air on my behalf. 
and then they contacted Seoul, so they let me board. But once I got here, the immigration officer just looked at the birth certificate, the feeling when immigration says, oh, welcome, come through, then you're like, ah, it's all over, right? I don't have to worry anymore. So then I did like a two-day quarantine, I did my COVID test, so that was really hard because Anna's condo is like five minutes from the quarantine hotel. So I'm like inside the country, but still quite, oh. can't quite get there. But those two endless days passed. They let Tom out of quarantine, and he rushed over to Anna's condo. He sent us a video Anna's niece took the moment he walked in the door. Tom looks so awkward in this video. You can see the shock of having this little human right in front of him in all his baby glory, loud and wriggly, so different from the flat image he lived with for the first month of his son's life. By the time he called us, that awkwardness had vanished. How's being a daddy? It's great, it's great. You want to meet the little man real quick? He just woke up. Let's go say hello, huh, to Anders. Oh my god. Hey baby. Oh, Can you smile baby. now? Can you smile? He is the most. Yes, you can. Oh my gosh, Your he name. does look like you. Oh my you gosh. Think? Yes, yeah. he does. Well, Tom, does this feel like a happy ending? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it couldn't have gone better, you know, since we last spoke. Um, He just found his thumb the other day, which is great because that, like, stops him from crying and stuff. He can self-pacify. Exactly, yeah. He's smiling. I know, he's so happy. This is the best time when he wakes up because he's had a good sleep. How's mommy? It's good, yeah. She's just waking up. Does it feel good to be reunited? Definitely, definitely. It's really good. And we're just thinking about what we're going to do now. It's going to be tough if I have to leave again for work or, you know, Mm. where we're going to end up kind of relocating to. So, yeah, we're going to try and figure all that out, basically. So much is up in the air, but you have each other. Exactly, exactly. You know, the last six months of just pain, you just kind of forget about it. There's no better feeling when you when you meet your son for the first time, right? Oh, my God. His, um, his hearing is really good, so he can hear, like, sounds. He doesn't always know where they're coming from because his vision isn't completely developed yet. He's, like, looking at the iPad. Hello. He's thinking, what's this? Hello, baby. <laughs> Hello. Can you say hi? <laughs> He's like, I don't talk yet. <laughs> no, exactly right. <laughs> making me talk it's not time i know i just found my thumb what do you want from me (laughs) i know he should be fluent in six languages he should be swimming (laughs) well knowing you he will be (laughs) are you afraid to leave if you have to leave yeah you know that's a really good question i'm only allowed to stay for 60 days at a time under my visa 
So at some point I will have to leave and then um, come back. But it's a bit risky if I go back to the US, if I get slightly less amenable agent who checks me in or, you know, let's say the rules change and while I'm overseas and I can't get back, then it's a real concern. So we're just kind of weighing up the options. Well, any final thoughts before I let you go to baby and to your day? So you're going to be next, right? I mean, I hope so. I'm trying. Fingers I'll crossed, let you know right? what I know. Yeah. <laughs> Just make sure you're in the same country, you and Chris, when you, when you do it. I yeah. will take that note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the pandemic still ongoing as we record this episode, there's a lot up in the air. But there's one thing we're certain of. Tom is going to be a great dad. We want to instill in him an open-mindedness to other cultures, to other ways of doing things. You know, maybe a reflection of our relationship, you know, that we have an international component to it and never to judge people, always to be kind. What do you hope your son takes after from you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't necessarily, like, feel that he should take something from me. I want him to be his own man. So, one thing that occurs to me is that you said that the thing that you most want him to be is open-minded and kind. Mm. And... (laughs) I would argue that you're very open-minded and kind because you did not have to help me. And you did. It's still hard to believe that Tom would have gone out of his way to help Amanda's family without even knowing them. A complete stranger. But that's who he is to baby Anders, too. It's one of the strange truths of parenthood that you start to love someone before you even get to meet them, before you learn who they really are. How beautiful is that? Yeah, so probably did things the wrong way around, right? (laughs) But that's kind uh, kind of how it happens, so. Join us next time for our season finale as we step through a crack in the space time continuum with LeVar Burton who is somehow simultaneously the icon from Roots, Kunta Kinte, the man who taught us how to eject a warp core as Geordi LaForge, and our friendly guide on the Reading Rainbow. So come on, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at Amanda Knox. At Man Under Bridge. At KnoxRobinson.com. And subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of Labyrinths. This episode was written by us, Edited and sound designed by Chandler Mays, with theme music by Josh Budo Karp. <laughs>